Are you going to Gen Con? Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I will be there. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday at Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. We're going to be joined by fan-favorite panelists Liz Tice, Dan Dillon, and Sean Merwin. It's totally free, so go get your tickets now. After the panel, join us at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Indianapolis near the convention center at 7 p.m. for drinks, food, and games. Then, I've got a movie I wrote, directed, and produced with my partner, Jay Lechko, that premieres at Gen Con. Nightbirds, a six-minute-long short film that's a superhero comedy, is part of the superhero block at 7 p.m. on August 6th, the Saturday of Gen Con. That's also totally free, so check it out and support my movie, Nightbirds, with a K. Then, also the Saturday of Gen Con, there's going to be a panel, The Digital Future of D&D 5th Edition, at 2 o'clock in Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom C. The SRD is shaking up the landscape for D&D digital tools. Which tools will make an impact? What's on the horizon? Leading companies share their visions and answer your questions. Get your tickets today. I will be moderating this panel. There's going to be people from DriveThruRPG, from Cyber from Mesa Mundi, from Smiteworks, and from Lone Wolf Development. So come check that panel out at 2 the Saturday of Gen Con. I cannot wait to meet you all in Indianapolis at all of these totally free events I will be at. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. It takes 30 seconds and it is a huge, huge boon to us. I read one five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything that you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of Weller Pond, whose review is entitled, This is the Best Podcast for D&D Enthusiasts. This is one of only a few podcasts that I listen to every week. These guys and gals are smart, knowledgeable, experienced, and clearly enjoy each other's company without allowing discussion to devolve into private jokes. I teach corporate communication workshops and sometimes mention James as an example of a great facilitator. Well, th- Thank you so much. That is amazing. Uh, I am I am humbled, sir, by that compliment. <clears throat> Back to the review. Whether he knows it or not, he follows the basic tenets of positivity, collaboration, and agreement required for effective communication. On the rare occasion when he disagrees with his guests, he responds in a thoughtful and authentic manner that keeps the conversation constructive and enlightening. I appreciate the work, talent, and expertise required to produce podcasts on a regular basis, so thank you for delivering a consistently excellent product. Natural 20! Wow, Weller Pond, thank you so much. This was a, a awesome review, and thank you for the personal compliments. Uh, the fact that you're using me as an example when you teach, uh, I don't know that I am worthy of that, but I thank you so much for that huge, huge compliment. Everybody else, uh, that is our last five-star review in America. So if you live in America, go ahead, give us another five-star review. If you live in another country, go give us a five-star review somewhere else. Give me a shout-out on Twitter at James Intricasso, J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R 
R-O-C-A-S-O, and let me know that you've given us a review, and I will read it. Thank you so much. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Okay, today we have a real treat. It is two amazing interviews. The first interview is with Wolfgang Bauer, Cobalt in Chief of Cobalt Press, and the one and only RPG design veteran Steve Winter. We are going to be talking about the fact that they're bringing Deep Magic, which was a book of Pathfinder spells, tons and tons and tons, hundreds of new spells for Pathfinder. They then converted it for 13th Age, and now they are slowly, piece by piece, converting it to 5th Edition. So we are going to hear about that. Tons of new spells, which is awesome. These are the people behind Tome of Beasts who gave us tons and tons of free monsters that will be coming to our mailbox as soon if you participated in that Kickstarter. Then it's an interview with Ian Keller, who has an awesome Kickstarter going on for a world of fiction called Strange Arcana that he plans on turning into a role-playing game universe. It is a really, really cool world. He's got tons of experience designing games. This world is so cool. I can't wait to tell you the concept. It is superheroes versus Cthulhu. That's right. It sounds crazy, but definitely check out this Kickstarter. When you see the art, you're going to be like, bam, they nailed it. This is awesome. So first, it's going to be a book of fiction coming out, and then they're going to have an RPG later. So check it out. Here are both of the interviews now. We're going to start with Wolfgang Bauer and Steve Winter. All right, everybody. Now I am here with Wolfgang Bauer and Steve Winter, and we are going to talk about 5th edition Deep Magic. Wolfgang, welcome back to the show. Hey, always good to be here. And Steve, welcome back as well. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. So why don't we dive right in? Let's talk about it. Deep Magic for 5th Edition. For um, for listeners out there who aren't familiar, uh, why don't you tell them about sort of the uh, previous incarnations of Deep Magic, and then we'll dive into what you're doing for 5th Edition D&D. Everybody loves spells and magic, and so at Cobalt Press, we, we've created a lot of spells over time, right? And we sort of tuck them into a supplement here, and there go into an adventure there. And at a certain point, I said to myself, gosh, we have a lot of these things and I can't find the one I want anymore because they're scattered over 20 books. Um, would it be nice to just compile them? I bet it would be easy to just compile them into one volume uh, and add a bunch of new ones. So we did a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say to myself, it'll be so easy. Um, it winds up being this... <laughs> This massive undertaking where, you know, we said uh, is our biggest Kickstarter to date. It was for the Pathfinder RPG, and it compiled every single spell uh, that Cobalt Press had done to date. Plus, we took a bunch of spells from people who backed the project, right? So um, a community kind of thing where people chipped in a spell, um, and some of those were completely awesome. <laughs> so we wound up with hundreds of spells and bloodlines and archetypes and new magic items and new schools of magic. And that's where the fifth edition part kind of comes in. Is you know we said that was a big hit for Pathfinder, but now we're doing a lot of fifth edition, mm -hmm. and you know we like the spells we have, but as always, we'd like to have more. Of course, 
Of course, or- yeah. And I think one big thing about 5th edition is in all the core books, every monster, every spell, every magic item is a classic. You know, um, they're things we've seen in previous editions. And yep. one thing I am hungry for is is new stuff, bringing in new stuff to 5th to edition. And I feel like you did that with Tome of Beasts, right? You brought a lot of monsters that weren't part of 5th edition yet into 5th edition. And now you're yep. doing that with uh, with Deep Magic. We're going to get some spells beyond your, your Tensors and Mordenkane and big yeah. things, right? I mean, that's sort of the point of Deep Magic is to go out there a little bit, invent whole new schools. So, like, the existing hardcover version, there's clockwork magic, there's a whole system of rune magic, there's blood magic, there's uh, angelic wardings, um, <laughs> there's, like, an underdark alchemy. There's, I think, ten new schools or themes. Nice. Um yeah. Oh, shadow magic. I knew I was forgetting a major one. Star and shadow magic, which goes way back to my second edition campaign. So, I mean, the roots of this all go really deep, but the concepts are all a little outside, you know, divination, evocation, necromancy. And and it's very plug and play, right? We, we decided with the fifth edition set that we were just going to do it by these schools or themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so clockwork was the first one because I love it. I, guess. <laughs> um, I mean, clockwork magic is the one that is basically if doctor who were a wizard, this is be his school. Um, nice. it's chronomancy plus, uh, robots, machines, automatons, mm-hmm. right, robots is a little too doctor who and not enough clockwork. Um, <laughs> But it's everything mechanical turned into something magical. So all of those things like guardians and golems are are part of this school. Now, that's kind of tricky. Uh, Steve did the development on this text, and and some of it doesn't necessarily gel <laughs> with standard spellcasting, right? I mean, a lot of it's crafting and artifice related. Um, I don't yeah, know, that- Steve, what do you want to say? Clockwork was a, an interesting choice to be the the first uh, the first chapter in in this undertaking because it's bigger than a lot of the other ones and it's as Wolf said it in a lot of ways it uh, I don't want to say violates the parameters of fifth edition <laughs> but it stretches uh, them it, to the breaking point yes it it stretches the envelope a lot um, and so. Uh, it, it, I mean, there's tons of cool stuff in there, and I, I think that we we got it all to a point where it works smoothly, right? And it will integrate into, you know, anybody can roll up a character using what's in the player's handbook and what's in Clockwork Magic, and they shouldn't run into any hiccups. But it it was not a it was not a smooth road getting to that point. <laughs> <laughs> What was it that made you guys decide that, you know, like, oh, we really need to, now's a good time to bring fifth ma- uh, Deep Magic into 5th edition? And what made you decide to sort of release it, uh, you know, in, in smaller chunks like this as opposed to doing yet another Kickstarter for a giant 5th edition book of, of Deep Magic? Part of that is just sheer exhaustion after Tome of Beasts. <laughs> I mean, uh, you'd like to think that every game company is is full of um, caffeine-powered robots who can just keep going and going and going. But the fact is, there's like 432 pages in Tome of Beasts, and then there's 
three or four supplemental books and a set of pawns. It's just a huge push for a small <laughs> company to get it all done. It hasn't quite shipped yet, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's on press and it'll be out at the end of July. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so some of that was just maybe we can bite it off one small bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of the thinking for me, at least, was you know if we release these one at a time and we do find that some of the more experimental ones have hiccups, right? Or we missed something. Right. We're going to hear about it. I mean, gamers aren't shy, right? So, um, and we'll fix it before we go to some sort of larger print or I don't know if we'll ever do a hardcover with this, but maybe. And so let's kick them around a little. Let's get them out there and get people playing with it rather than the other downside of Kickstarter is you got to wait nine months or a year for the book to show up. And I kind of want to play this stuff now. <laughs> so so we're doing it a chapter at a time. I'm, I guess, see, we can talk about the next couple chapters are coming. Like, Rune Magic is in layout right now. So we're going to see these once a month or every two weeks or so for a while. Um, and I'm sure Rune Magic has its own quirks and things, but it fits really nicely into Storm King's Thunder that worked yeah out. Rune, rune magic is uh I, I had a lot of uh i think there's a lot of great stuff in rune magic you know anybody who's into that that whole viking kind of uh genre is gonna really dig rune magic sure yeah and i think it's a uh timely release because it probably works well with the themes of storm king's thunder which is the next watsi official adventure right it's all about giants and long ships and things like that so i feel like even thematically, it kind of works together with oh, those yeah. things. Yeah, know? no, I mean, that stuff dates back to the Northlands book when we had a couple of people, Norwegians and Icelanders, who, you know, said, well, you're doing rune magic. <laughs> Let me tell you what I know. Um, and and so we had some consulting from people who, who whose culture is really directly out of the Viking Age a few hundred years later. Um, and it was a blast to to see that turned into a system that's accessible to a lot of characters, not just traditional spellcasters. I mean, that's kind of, the, I guess I'm giving away one of the secrets of rune magic, but um, you don't have to be a traditional wizard or cleric to, to have some access to it. Sure. Sure. So this is, I mean, it's awesome that this is coming out now. It's, I, I really actually like the release of, um, of things coming out in chunks, especially when it comes to things like schools of magic, because maybe you do want to buy that rune magic and combine it with your storm King's thunder game, but you're not ready to pick up clockwork magic because you don't want the, uh, you know, the doctor who more chronomancy feel in your game. Um, so it really lets you play around in that way and it gives consumers a good option as well Uh, sure no we had somebody on the board saying hey i was just thinking about trying to clock punk up or steampunk up my my 5e campaign and then you guys released this thanks right (laughs) yeah i guess it's a it's a really good fit for steampunk or or any of those sorts of directions sure for Um, an eberron game i think it would be perfect you know it it fits right into eberron without really a hitch um <laughs> or maybe your 5e midgard game right uh, yeah yeah and the nice thing about it is every time we sort of visit this in a new rule set or a new edition we add stuff to it like the warlock pacts here for clockworks mm-hmm. it's not a 
thing in Pathfinder, right? <laughs> um, it's not even a thing in the standard Midgard home campaign. I don't have anybody playing a warlock at the moment. So it's like, uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, the designer, Scott Carter, just said he wanted to do this thing with the great machine. I'm like, uh, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, it's a flavor that, that fits pretty neatly in. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's adding another thing to the stew, adding another um, angle on it. And and that's probably why this chapter's gotten as big as it has. I mean, Steve mentioned this is one of the meteor schools. Um, Star and Shadow Magic is the other one that's kind of gigantic. Uh, and those two date back to the earliest days of my home campaign. So they've got, has been house ruled or home brewed or professionally polished up to one stage or another um, going back. 15 years yeah since the start of third edition for this stuff wow well and it's totally equipped with amazing art too like this is a, a super awesome pdf um and i love fantasy art where spells are being cast um, mm -hmm. it, just, it just looks really really cool but let's talk a little bit about steve uh, when you were sort of um porting these spells over uh you know what was the challenge there obviously you know pathfinder is a little different from fifth edition which is different from 13th age right because you guys also brought deep magic to 13th age as well so kind of what are the challenges when you're converting a spell from one to the next uh well i first i want to be clear that i didn't actually do the conversions uh those were done by uh was it uh dan dillon did he do no it was scott carter on this scott one carter. Scott really carter into the clockwork um, and so i took uh scott's manuscript and i was his his backstop Mm -hmm. um, and went through and and made sure that all the all the math was correct uh <laughs> that you know that that these weren't duplicating um other spell effects and that they were they were at the right levels all that kind of thing that they worked within the framework of the 5th edition rules mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you know although there's a there's a lot familiar in 5th edition there's also a lot in there that uh you know it has its own quirks and idiosyncrasies and and you've got to make sure that you align with those uh, especially with with spells um sure the, i think that was yeah that was a big chunk of the work right is sort of taking out things that were assumptions of other systems and inserting things that make it smooth for fifth edition play that make it sort of align with all of those elements yeah which uh, you're kind of the perfect person uh, uh, to do that right steve well Perfect is a strong word. <laughs> well, because you in, worked in, on in Wolf's, fifth edition. In Wolf's opinion, the, the perfect person would have, you know, my grasp of the math and the rules and a better sense of deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> it's true we wanted to ship this a month sooner, but you know, I'd rather get it right than than ship it early and bad. So totally. Well, and that's been the mantra of fifth edition. It seems like um, for anybody working on it, be it a, a third party product or a, you know, um, it's a, it's only in the DMs guild that you'll see stuff come out like super fast and uh, and, and not always good. That's yeah. the trouble with super fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I, as Wolf was saying, these things have a tendency to uh, to mushroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that it, uh, it has, it, it's a much bigger undertaking than I expected it was going to be when I, you know, when Wolf 
presented it, uh, the idea to me and I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. It's pretty intensive. Yeah, let's yeah. actually talk about because, right, it's one thing um, to port a bunch of spells over. That is a lot of work in itself. But then it's another thing to create whole new archetypes for classes. Uh, and when I bought this, I thought, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm definitely going to see a new wizard archetype, right? Because it's kind of a new school of magic. So we'll probably see that. I was not expecting to see, you know, a new cleric archetype, a new warlock patron. Uh, what was it like digging into to those things, making these new yeah, subclasses really um uh because they are awesome they're really really well written uh they're really well presented the art that goes with each is really cool um and each has its own uh very unique story to go along with it um that makes you know it, it's almost like reading these it helped me figure out where clockwork magic belongs in a setting entirely, you know, like it helped me fit the whole school of magic into my world. So what was it like going and designing these new subclasses? Well, the clockwork domain uh, for the cleric is a pretty, it's one of those cases where the flavor came first and the, the deity has been in the Midgard campaign forever, right? Yeah. Rava, the gear goddess of industry <laughs> and, um, time and and clocks she's sort of the patron goddess of the main city in midgard or the the default city in midgard at zobek and her worshipers obviously need their own domain because none of the existing fifth edition domains really say glories of industry bring on the gear forged um so that's that was kind of where that started was we need to have a priesthood devoted to this mechanical goddess. And then it's one thing to say, okay, we need that. And it's another to say, well, what are the domain spells? Um, <laughs> and, and what is your, you know, what is your clockwork mastery really get you and how is it divine? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, for me, this is such a familiar flavor of priesthood that it's it's hard for me to say oh yeah that's new because uh, <laughs> i've been running it a long time and i just from my perspective it was like okay scott uh carter's really into um these clockwork things he really gets it he's gonna do a fine job with this and steve is gonna take that and say okay you know let's balance it out <laughs> let's make sure it aligns um because sometimes a designer's enthusiasm will carry them off. And this happens to me, right? I'm like, design, design. Oh, this is an awesome power. <laughs> and, and yeah, it is. And then and somebody else has to step back and say, 15 D10, really? <laughs> Come on, at first level, Steve. Everyone will love it. <laughs> um, so, so there was that part of it, right? I mean, yeah, the reality check part. And, and I'm really um, pleased both with, you know, did it capture the flavor? Yes. You can do amazing things with, with constructs. You can turn them into a channel for your, your divine magic. Um, you could command them. You know exactly what they're up to. I mean, you and the Warforged or the Gearforged are, are pretty much in sync. Um, and it's got a nice story arc too, right? Where at, at a certain point, I think at like 18th level or something, you 
you start to transform into into an automaton yourself. So as a cleric, you're you're moving toward the divine, you're moving toward the machine, and you're gaining powers that uh, that help you in that direction. I I really like that domain. It doesn't feel anything like you know the life domain or the light domain or any of the existing directions we've got in the player's handbook and obviously it sort of assumes a very particular kind (laughs) of figure in the pantheon but it's you know it's like two pages in the book if you're like "Eh, i really want the warlock and i really want the wizard but i'm not going to change up my homebrew pantheon just for this Mm -hmm. eh, fine not a problem but i think i think we did a really good job with it yeah, it's amazing. It, it's a very, very cool idea, and it's a cool concept. And I like that you said, you know, it's been in your head forever. It doesn't seem new to you. And that may be true, but at the same time, we don't have these mechanics in 5th edition for a, right. a clockwork domain. You know? Right, so, we really don't. So it, so it's you'll see cool. more clockwork creatures showing up in Tome of Beasts. Uh, Steve was also the developer there, so he knows. Like, the clockwork section is... I don't know, 10 monsters? <laughs> it's yeah. quite a few. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and the uh, anybody who's in the who's taking clockwork spells is going to want to see those clockwork monsters in the campaign because, uh, uh, you know, because they, they have spells that will take those things apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and they're not nearly as effective against things that aren't clockwork. So sure. uh, they're going to be they're going to be uh, you know, doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of lobbying of their DMs to get some <laughs> clockwork monsters. <laughs> yeah, that would be wildly unfair if if somebody took the uh, took the domain and their their DM just said, "You're never going to meet one of these." Things. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? No, <laughs> it's not putting the player in a spotlight. I mean, yeah, I mean that's like that's like having a ranger take you know orcs as his favorite enemy, and then you know, oh, I'm sorry, there are no orcs in my campaign world. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, did what? you get that ring of fire immunity? You'll never fight another <laughs> fire creature again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Arctic. Nobody burns anyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so is this the kind of thing that we will see in rune magic then? Uh, when when each new class comes out or each new school of magic comes out, will we see, you know, uh, class archetypes for each new school of magic? Well, rune magic is entirely different. So, so the quick an- answer to that question is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rune magic has a completely different structure from mm-hmm. clockwork magic. So uh, instead, you're giving us a new magic system instead of Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, easy. Oh, but some of the other chapters are more in that line where it's like, okay, here's a new wizard archetype, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we have that many cleric domains in the run. Sure. Um, so that's a bit of an exception and the warlock pact, uh, there might be one more, I'm trying to think ahead a couple months now. Um, but there's, there's a fair number of wizard archetypes coming. But uh, as I was saying though, it's like with the, the variety involved here, rune magic, clockwork magic takes one approach and it gives you new archetypes and, you know, modifications to existing classes. Rune magic actually doesn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. Because rune magic is accessed through feats, uh, and you you learn specific runes, and uh, and runes give you access to spells. Um, yeah, it, it it so there's you know don't expect 
what you saw in Clockwork Magic to be the pattern that's going to hold through all of these chapters. Each chapter approaches the problem in its own way. I love that. So you're sort of, you know, you're adapting to whatever the magic is, right? So if it's yeah. rune magic, it's going to be handled one way because that's the best way to handle that. And you, you're not a, you're not introducing a plug and play formula. You guys, it sounds like you're doing a ton of work on this thing. That yeah, well, that's <laughs> as Steve pointed out. It's the framework changes, um, and for the word count, it's just a lot of development. And and even now, I'm like. You know, we're still going to discover a few things somewhere. Yeah, you put as much uh, into it as you possibly can, especially with foundational things like new spells or new archetypes, which, you know, the characters are what your campaign pivots around. So what are you guys most looking forward to in deep magic that we have yet to see. Obviously there's great stuff in here. We've, we've covered a lot of it. We haven't talked about Hellforged yet, but, uh, but no. we'll definitely get there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, upcoming, what are you excited to see? That's a hard question. Which of your children do you love best? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, some of the stuff that I, I kind of reach back to the star and shadow magic, the illumination magic um, has been central to my home game and a bunch of adventures I've written. And it just winds up in stuff I write all the time. So I'm really excited to see that one. And I, I kind of blame Gary Gygax for my love of like the plane of shadows, everything shadow. Um, because he put that in a bunch of his designs and I thought it was incredibly cool. And immediately said, well, it's going to be a major theme in my campaign going forward. Let's make it happen. So it's one of the schools that, that gets more word count and a lot more spells. And I believe a wizard archetype. So, yeah, I think Star and Shadow is the next one that I'm just going to be going over with a fine tooth comb. Honestly, you know, there's nothing wrong with blood magic. Uh, the angelic wardings are great. And there's one chapter here that we're doing for fifth edition based on some themes out of Tome of Beasts that has never appeared anywhere else. It's just new. Kind of excited just because something is brand new and, and to see what people's reaction is. And it's sort of villainous and evil. So I, I love that part. Nice. I don't know, Steve, what's your favorite? Uh, well, I'm the wrong guy to ask. Uh, <laughs> he I hates was... them all. <laughs> no, but I w I had never paid a lot of attention to the uh, uh, all the flood of material that came out for Pathfinder, you know, over the years. Um, so I am new to all this material. Um, in, in, in a lot of cases, my first sighting of it is when I receive a file in email from Wolf, you know, <laughs> saying, "Here's the next chapter to work on." So. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I would not be able to say that I have a favorite yet because there are chapters I haven't read yet. Uh, sure. and, and I have no idea what's in them. Uh, but it's, you know, it's always exciting cracking open a new file. Uh, from an editor-developer viewpoint, of course, you, you see things that horrify you, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, you're going, oh, but, but it's so cool. I'm, there's got to be a way to make this work, right? So. <laughs> Sometimes there is, but <laughs> yeah, I, we have had to throw bits away. And this is one of the, the sad things um, about development and editing is like, you can't make this thing work. Well, better to excise it and just cut it out of the manuscript now rather than, than sort of 
waste a lot of time or or people's time at the table saying you know this doesn't quite work so yeah there was without without naming any specifics there was one that uh, a spell that it was it was very cool and i can i can totally see why people would have loved having this spell but and within the way fifth edition works, it would have just utterly broken the game. <laughs> and yes. I could not, I could not find any way to what made that spell cool and not have it just completely destroy every campaign it was introduced into. So. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to end your campaign, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the, the final chapter of deep magic. Yeah. game breaking yeah, magic. Yeah. Apocalypse magic. Right. Apocalypse magic. Ooh. Right. <laughs> you know, Dark Sun, maybe? Ooh, I like it. Thank you for doing this because I thought, you know, we'll get Tome of Beast, they're going to work on that, and maybe, you know, like three years from now, we'll see something for Deep Magic. So I'm excited that it's already coming out, that we're getting more spells, new spells, new archetypes, new feats, all that kind of stuff is going to be great. Let's talk about Hellforged. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell the people out there what Hellforged are. Well, <laughs> so. In the Midgard setting, the Gear Forged are the <laughs> are the automaton race, right? They are somewhat Warforged like, but they're they're construct shells that have that are hosts to a human soul, right, um, or a dwarven soul. And the point of the Gear Forged is that they are defenders. Um, they are those fighters who say, you know. I need to, my work here is not done. I'm going to take on a new body and carry on my mission. So they're fairly driven people who say, yeah, pull my soul out of this meat sack and throw it into those gears over there. <laughs> Most normal people would say that's not a great idea mm-hmm. um, or it's a terrifying idea. But but certain heroes say, yeah, I'm good for that and I will serve um, – I will serve my goddess or I'll serve the free city of Zobek or I will follow my paladin order for hundreds of more years. The Hellforged, on the other hand, <laughs> aren't that heroic. They're a little bit like the, well, they're the bad guys who figured out that the Gearforged approach is actually kind of cool and that those goody two-shoes <laughs> are, are pulling one over on them, right? The paladin who says, I will, I will uphold my oath. He's a problem the bad guys so the hellforged are reaction to that they are somewhat like tieflings they are champions of evil they are tainted Mm -hmm. constructs and that's a concept we haven't had until this this chapter this book up until now the gearforged were pretty much good or neutral aligned and the hellforged put them down a dark path so it's a new concept um that i think is actually pretty cool because bad guys in machine bodies hey that means i can bring my villain back <laughs> and and we'll see how it flies i i, I kind of saw it in the manuscript and said wow yeah i can write that adventure that's a hook but as all new ideas are right it's like well are people going to run with it in their home campaign i think yes it's always nice to have another form of villain and and the hellforge to me are sort of one of those body hopping villains that are hard to get rid of because at the, least if, the thing yeah, I, if it were my I, campaign, I'd give them six bodies, right? I'd just back up the conference. <laughs> the thing that really that I loved in the, the description of them is that transformation is, is very often not something that they chose. 
right? right. That the, they can be forced into that form against their will by someone else. Uh, in fact, there's a line in the in the little sidebar that you know says while the while the disembodied spirit summoned by the ritual likely wants out of whatever place it was in, it doesn't want this. <laughs> so you know it's like you you thought things were bad before they just got worse. You know and and uh, you, know, you now serve me. I mean that that's kind of one of the uh, it's one of the aspects of of summoning spells, for example. That has always been there. You know, you just you just reached out to somewhere else and grabbed an entity and plunked it down here to do something extremely dangerous and uh, painful for you, right? Uh, how do they feel about that? Uh, and let, <laughs> let's see, the Hellforged are are certainly in that camp. Uh, I mean, and, and that certainly not always, right? There, there may be uh, volunteers for this as well, but uh, it has the option to even. Uh, you could build a pretty amusing adventure around, say, grabbing a player character and slapping them, in, you know, against their will, transforming them into, you know, temporarily into a hellforged. So. <laughs> oh, take the take the most good aligned character, have some lich call them, make them a hellforged, do some horrible things, kill all the Jedi children, and then send them back. Right nice. <laughs> to live with it. Yeah, all right. They've got motivation to go find that lich, <laughs> <laughs> or to become Darth Vader, who's more machine than man now. See, mm. there's tons of adventure hooks in some of these spells. There's there's tons of adventure hooks that you know are implied, but you're going to have to work out the consequences and the details. I think there's a place from in most campaigns for clockworks as a general theme and clockwork magic in particular. One of the things you guys just, you know, we, we took one thing and you guys turned it into, you could have a player suffer this. You could bring your villain back through this, you know, and a lot of other story hooks. Uh, we talked about story hooks uh, with the clockwork god. I think there's tons just in this clockwork document, which is why I'm so excited to see more of this stuff come out. And even if your players aren't interested in it, you as the DM could check this out. And, you know, nothing like having a clockwork villain show up and uh you know start to tear apart a gear forged character uh mm -hmm. you know so yes. there's all kinds of really really great stuff in here and really great stuff to come gentlemen if people want to find out more about you find you on the internet uh where can they go what should they do this will all be linked up in the show notes for this episode at the tomeshow.com uh wolfgang sure. let's start with you uh well you can check out coboldpress.com uh, lots of blogging there. You can check out Twitter at Cobalt Press. And, of course, we have a Facebook page for Cobalt Press as well. Uh, so those are all good options. Uh, you can also pick up uh, Deep Magic Clockwork at the Tabletop Library, if you like. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And, Steve, what about you? Where can people find you? Uh, well, again, Cobalt Press is probably the best place. I have a, a new blog series that should be starting up in July. Um, on uh, doing creative things with a deck of playing cards in your uh, RPG campaign. Um, or I'm on, on uh, uh, Twitter at STV Winter. Um, and uh, uh, those are the best places. I'm so busy right now that I'm actually kind of quiet on social media. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. So, uh, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thanks.
All right, now let's roll my interview with Ion Eller. All right, everybody, now I am here with the one and only Ian Eller. Ian, welcome to the roundtable. How are you today? I am doing very well today. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm wonderful because I am talking to you. We're going to talk all about your awesome Kickstarter for Strange Arcana or Arcana. Well, all right, hold on. Right off the bat, how should we be saying this? Is this Strange Arcana or Strange Arcana? Well, it's one of those words you learn as a gamer where you never actually have to say. You only read it. <laughs> I suppose in my head, uh, I go with Arcana, I think. All right. Nice. That's me, too. That's my, that's my first instinct, so that's what we'll stick to for this podcast. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about your own history uh, with uh, you know the, the world of tabletop role-playing games and things like that and okay. awesome nerd stuff? Um, awesome nerd stuff. I have nerd stuff. I'm not sure how awesome it is. Um, so, uh, my professional, uh, career began probably 13, 14 years ago. Um, I was friends with Jeffrey Grabowski, who your listeners may know if they recall the, uh, uh, White Wolf game Exalted, which was a epic fantasy game that, that White Wolf put out many years ago. Uh, and being friends with Jeffrey, I got my first work through him. I also wrote for uh, Gamma World D20, which I know wasn't loved, but uh, I love Gamma World and I loved it D20, and working on that book was great. But then I had kids, and uh, that makes life a little bit hard to find the time to do the kind of intense work that writing sure. requires, yeah. especially for the for the recompense you get as a game writer. It's a it's it's a little harder to dedicate that much time, you know. Of course, yeah. Um, uh, but then more recently, a good friend of mine with whom I game went to college with Erin uh, Acevedo, who is the uh, CEO of Sigil Entertainment and the uh, progenitor of this whole Strange Arcana idea. Um, and I wrote a story for him for an anthology he did as a charity. Uh, one of his friends lost his house in that storm we had three years ago in New England, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, he put out an anthology called Maelstrom, and there were there were Lovecraftian stories sort of built around the theme of storms. Having done that, when he wanted to start building this world of Strange Arcana where superheroes meet Lovecraftian entities, um, he and I got together and we started laying the groundwork for the world for the game and the, the the fiction that is that we're talking about now. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's let's talk about uh, Strange Arcana then. What is Strange Arcana? Strange Arcana is the question about what happens when bright four-colored heroes come face to face with the existential threat, the existential horror, the eldritch horror of Lovecraftian entities. In other words. These two genres seem opposed at first, the idea that you can save the world and then the idea that nothing can save the world, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so trying to marry them in a way that's fun, interesting, doesn't undermine either genre. Um, that's the whole goal of the project, the whole goal of the world. And it came out of Aaron's imagination and with artwork that he presented and then we just sort of tried to build a world that made it make sense in a way that was also great for gaming, right? Because you always have to remember that that at some point in these things, someone's going to be playing this. Yeah, yeah, which is which is super super cool, uh, and it's a really awesome idea that you know that that 
you will be able to fight the old ones uh essentially and uh and and it's this great great smash up uh you know i encourage people if they are listening to us as we're talking about this to uh go to kickstarter and search for strange arcana or to uh head on over to the tomeshow.com find the show notes for this episode there will be a direct link to the kickstarter there as well um just so people can see what we're talking about i feel like even just looking at your art uh, you're like, whoa, I get it instantly. These two ideas totally, totally work together. Uh, and it's not a thing that, uh, you know, I would necessarily buy right away, like you said. Um, but it looks awesome. I, I want to hang out in this world some more. So let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter. What uh, What is the Kickstarter funding? All right, so this Kickstarter is our first toe dipping into the waters here is a fiction anthology. Uh, we have a bunch of great authors. We have Arnold Bloomberg and uh, uh, me, obviously. Uh, Shane Hensley is in on it and John Wick's in on it, among other people. And what we're doing is presenting this world through an anthology of short stories that gives you a glimpse into both the 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 secret history that sort of infuses this world along with um, the NPCs that you'll see when the game eventually comes out and uh, uh, the conflicts that drive superheroes versus these, uh, not just the entities themselves, but, you know, there's always cultists, right? There's always mutants and there's always, you know, some mysterious government agency that wants to control this stuff. Uh, you know, one of the things that Aaron told me when we first started talking about this project, one of the things that he really wanted to emulate was Planetary. Um, and, and if your listeners are familiar with that comic book, the thing about Planetary is that there's a secret history. You know, people don't know what's happening. And that's one of the things we wanted to build into this world. And the uh, the anthology here, these stories that that, that people are going to read, they're going to get a sense that that it's a lot deeper than... Um, just punching Cthulhu in the face, right? That, that, that this has been a thing that's been a conflict in the world since the dawn of civilization or even before it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and it's absolutely conveyed uh, in this sort of opening Kickstarter video that you guys have, uh, which might be the greatest Kickstarter video I've ever seen, actually. Um, it seems like you guys sunk a, a lot of resources in, uh, in like, getting some pretty good voice actors. Obviously you're using a lot of art, uh, that, uh, that was created for the project and everything. Um, talk to me a little bit about creating this video for the Kickstarter. Well, unfortunately that's well above my pay grade. I, I am, I am a, a, a writer and a world creator and that kind of thing. But as far as all the technical details go, and especially, you know, this is Aaron's baby from an art perspective, he put all this together. Um, if you don't know, Aaron is the uh, art director for Pinnacle Entertainment. So he has a lot of contacts and a lot of resources for producing this high quality, high fidelity um, stuff that you don't normally see in small companies like Sigil. Um, and it's really awesome to see this stuff appear. Like I didn't know what it was going to look like either. You know, we talked about it and what we wanted to do and the script for it and whatever. But as soon as it appeared, I was blown away as much as you were. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a great video. It totally conveys the feel of the world and what you were talking about. It, this is so much more than Superman punching Cthulhu in the face, like you said, which I, I mean, in itself is a great pitch, right? Let's, let's not kid ourselves. That sounds super fun. But this goes beyond that. The story seems so rich. The world seems so layered and it seems like the way you're talking is this is just the first step 
you know, this collection of fiction that sounds like it could be an amazing product in its own right, um, that is also going to have a, a comic book and all kinds of great art attached to it, uh, is, is really going to be an amazing thing. But you have plans to then, if this funds, go even further with it. Is that right? Oh uh, well, we're going to do that regardless of whether this funds. And we we're we're confident this is going to fund. We think that once people really start to see and share mm -hmm. the artwork they're seeing, I think people will just just alone some of the images that that Aaron has been able to get out of the the artist that he's got working for him um, is uh, is amazing stuff. But this was always originally conceived as a game world, right? And um, from the very beginning, we developing it for the Savage Worlds. Uh, game system, um, but with plans to possibly, you know, dual stat with Mutants and Masterminds, which is my favorite uh, superhero role-playing game, mm -hmm. or even Fate. You know, Fate's one of my favorite games, generally oh, sure. speaking, and we're we're hoping that, that we can get enough, you know, highly skilled uh, mechanical designers to be able to do this so that as many people as possible can enjoy this. But in any case, it's a game world, right? It it is there to be explored and dug through, and you know um, the 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 events depicted in this anthology are there to like give you a sense of the scale of the world and the kinds of conflicts that come up. But we're not telling the story that the players are going to play through. We're we're giving you a world that is going to be big enough to fit both Superman and Cthulhu in, right? Um, <laughs> So and a lot, like I said, the, a lot of these characters that are going to appear in the in these stories are, are NPCs in the game, and they were conceived as part of uh, a role playing game world. And because of that, this is a primer into the world of Strange Arcana, and a primer into the world of players getting to face down those existential threats while wearing capes and cowls. That's awesome, then. So this this is the road to the game world that we're seeing. This is a great introduction for people who uh, who want to wrap their minds around it. And then, you know, if, hey, me and my friends, we're all reading this thing, bam, now we can all of a sudden play in it using Savage Worlds or maybe Mutants and Masterminds or whatever you guys come up with. That sounds awesome. I am 100% on board with this already, uh, and I, I really, really can't wait. What was the... It, what really made you want to smash these two genres together? Well, um, I think the thing that, that, that was really pushing Aaron when he came up with the idea is that it's something that you don't see very often, right? Um, but there's an undercurrent of it being there already. If you think about Starro the Conqueror, for anybody that's, that's familiar with DC Comics, it's a giant starfish the size of a planet with a huge red eye that mind controls <laughs> the people of the planet that it that it conquers through smaller starfish that sit on their faces. That if, if that isn't a Lovecraftian idea, I don't know what is, right? <laughs> so all the writers that wrote comic books in the Silver Age grew up on the pulps of the 30s. And uh, in those pulps, was not just Lovecraft himself, but all the people that followed him and all the people that embraced those mythos, right? And so as much as the, the elements of Eldritch Horror are sort of at the fringes of the weird fiction that inspired superheroes, no one's really done that. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to figure out a way to marry them and make it 
a part of the, each other fundamentally. And that's, that's one of the things, that's one of the parts of the secret history that I won't give away too much of, but you know, the, the things that make supers super and the things that make horrors horrible are not that far removed from one another. So what are they looking at, uh, at getting, if you want to take us through the, the backer levels, we don't need to necessarily go over every single one, but kind of broad strokes. What are we looking at? Well, Obviously, the, the, the primary here is, is the stories themselves, right? Um, but one of the things that I saw, I was looking at this, was how absolutely gorgeous the art is, right? Like, like I had no idea. I, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I work in words. And so my backs and forth with, with Aaron were all about trying to build the world and the background and the characters and so on and so forth just me and words and, and, and him and his responses and what we needed to change or whatever. And then he started to send me some of these pictures that, that you can get as prints or even in a book with all of them or as uh, a deck of cards. And again, if, if, if your listeners haven't done it, they should immediately go to Kickstarter and, and search strange arcana because these, these pictures are amazing to me, even as a person involved in this project, I was, I was floored by it. And um, beyond the fiction that you can get, there is just some gorgeous, gorgeous artwork that is well worthy of hanging on the wall. Um, and I love the deck. I love the deck of cards. That thing is really amazing. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, there are things that you can keep in your house that your gamer friends come over and they, they, they sort of flip through. You ever have that happen where they're just sort of like looking on your shelf and then yeah, suddenly yeah. they're on top of something? <laughs> I think that that deck of cards is going to be that thing that they're on top of instantaneously, you know? Uh, so have you guys started playing in this world at all? Uh, in the sense of like playing an actual game in the world? Uh, I'm actually putting together the games I'm going to be running at some of the uh, regional cons come this fall and early next year. Um, but <clears throat> at least from my end, we're still nailing down all those details. Sure. Um the rules and things regarding how to build these characters and build these horrors are coming from primarily existing Savage World sources. But even so, they kind of that stuff's got to coalesce a little bit. And we've been focusing on this fiction element for long enough now that that the that the game itself, on the verge of coming together, we have to uh, we have to get there first. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. So when you're talking about borrowing from, you know, existing Savage Worlds things, is it like we're going over here to some superhero rules and we're pulling stuff for that and then we're going over here to some, you know, eldritch horror kind of stuff and we're pulling things from that. Is that the idea? Yeah, right. So in the game we're going to be um uh relying on the superhero companion and the horror companion and uh, as as always with the superhero genre in general there's it pulls elements from everything from fantasy to steampunk to uh to to science fiction because it's such a broad lovely genre right of course and yeah so, you can have thor but our, and batman and iron man right so. right <laughs> um so our primary resources are going to be those those genre companions um uh Obviously, put in a pot and and seasoned with with our favorite seasonings and boiled down into uh, a, a new and interesting thing. But we're not going to waste a whole lot of effort, you know, reinventing the wheel when what we have are some great rules, well tested, already put together um, by uh, people that really, really get Savage Worlds. Um, I think one of the most important things that you can do when you're developing a game is. Um, trust your designers, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm a writer and, and 
I write well, or at least I think I do, but there are guys <laughs> and girls that are wonderful at making sure the game is fun to play. And we're going to trust those people to, 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 to have, who have already done that to make that happen for us too. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And if it's out there and it's already been tested and, you know, proven and people like it, why go ahead and, and reinvent something? It sounds like what you have is an amazing world that you have sort of created and, uh, and that's going to be the thing. And people just need the, the rules to tell stories in it. Right. Um, so I, I for one, uh, cannot wait to see the Savage Worlds version of this. Uh, cause, uh, I think I'm going to have a good time in the meantime, I'm definitely going to get familiar with the world and check out the fiction because this seems just really really fun uh to do so you said this fiction obviously it's not going to be the adventure people are going to play through um are these events then canon in the game world like is this almost a prequel like when you play in the world is the default you'll be picking up where these stories leave off or is it a alternate universe within this universe? What's the, what's the, how does the fiction relate to the game? Well, these people in these, these events um, exist in the game world when you pick up that game world. Um, but we haven't necessarily said that it's last year or five years before. Do you know what I mean? Like it's an establishing statement in the fiction and, and so it's not a, the game isn't a sequel to this anthology. This anthology lays a foundation so that those that that decide to to back this and and decide that they want to take a little peek know what the world's going to feel like before they get there so it's it's like a um it's like watching agents of shield and enjoying the marvel cinematic universe if you if you know what i'm saying in other words they're connected and it certainly um adds some detail and some breadth to the universe but it's not necessarily required of course, of course, yeah, I definitely hear you. Well, that sounds awesome. This is a, a, a great world, and uh, like I said, I'm definitely going to back this, and I can't wait to get my hands on the copy of the fiction and, and read it and check it out. And I do think that if people think this sounds like a cool world to play in, here's a great way to check it out is to uh, go ahead and get in on this Kickstarter, immerse yourself in this world, and hey, maybe if you're going to some of the regional cons, uh, you'll see uh, Ion there, and uh, you'll be able to uh, to sample some of this game uh, come early next year. Uh, what cons will you be headed to uh, with you, some of this stuff? Uh, I always go to Carnage in Killington, Vermont, which is in November. Uh, it's a great con. It's, it's just the right size. You know, a few hundred people. Um, I usually run about 30 hours of games over the weekend there. Um, and so I'm going to be, uh, uh, doing at least a little bit of, of Stranger Con, if not a lot of Stranger Con. I haven't decided exactly how many of those 30 hours I want to dedicate to that. Um, and the other one that I always do and, uh, really enjoy is, um, Total Con, which is in Massachusetts. Uh, it, it's been in Mansfield, but it's moved, and I'm not exactly sure wh where it's moved to, but it's it's still in Massachusetts, and, and that's a good one to go to. Uh, again, that's another one where I, I tend to run 30 hours of games over the course of the weekend in order to uh, make sure that there are as many seats open as can possible, and, and I always fill them up. If you're going to one of those cons, make sure that you check out Strange Arcana. Uh, in the meantime, obviously, we want to remind people, check out the Kickstarter. It is ongoing now. Uh, you're you're going to want to get in on this before it is done. Uh, head over to Kickstarter, search for Strange Arcana, or go to the 
show notes for this episode and uh, click on the Kickstarter link there. Uh, where can people find you uh, otherwise, Ion? Uh, you can find me at ionellor.com, which is uh, e- easy to remember, hard to spell sometimes, I-N-E-L-L-E-R.com. Uh, what's interesting about my blog is that um, if I'm posting a lot, it means I'm not working on anything. And if I'm working on something, you won't see that many posts come up. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I write mostly about writing and, 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 and geek stuff in general and, and my love of games and my love of narrative. Um, so you could get, get a good feel for me and, and what you can expect from me on this project for sure. Um, there's a number of posts about my views of Superman versus Cthulhu, in fact. Uh, but uh, that's where you can find me. Well, I look forward to reading your views about Superman versus Cthulhu. And uh, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today. Thank you very much for having me. And before we go, we have to talk about our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week, we are talking about the Five Temples of the Earth Mother Part 1, Life and Moon. This is an adventure from the one and only Sean Merwin and Christopher Sneezak of the Down With D&D podcast. They are amazing. They're also behind the company Encoded Designs, which put out this awesome, awesome adventure. The Five Temples of the Earth Mother is a series of short adventures for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. This is the first chapter. It's available for a steal, less than five bucks. It is $4.95. Broken into chapters, it takes place on the island of Alaron in the Moonshay Isles of the Forgotten Realms. Each chapter in the series details a different adventure site. Each site is a lost temple dedicated to the Earth Mother, a force representing the primal essence of nature and life, a revered force in the Moonshays. Check this out, guys. You know these people are amazing designers. To get the work of both of them for less than $5 is incredible. It's built for characters levels 1 through 3, 9 new monsters, 2 new magic items, original maps for each area, 12 hours of gameplay for the table, 21 new pages of content. The Five Temples of the Earth Mother Part 1 Life and Moon is available through a direct link over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my guests, Wolfgang Bauer, Steve Winter, and Ion Eller. All right, people, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like this show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.